Welcome to the One Right Church podcast, where we will discuss what it's like to believe that you attend the only right church. My name is Mark Shaw, and I spent the first 45 years of my life in the Followers of Christ Church in Oregon City, believing I was in the One Right Church. Our hope is that by simply sharing our story, that we would urge people to look to the Bible for answers instead of their religious traditions. We want to encourage people to trust in Jesus for their salvation and not in attending the One Right Church. Let's get started. Hey, Scott. How you doing, Mark? Good. Good. Thought we would talk about the history at Followers today and invited my friend Marshall to come and help us talk Our about Our favorite that. historian. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hey, Marshall. Hi. So... Uh, not oh. a historian, so sorry to okay. disappoint, but Am- I'll do my best. Amateur historian. There you go. Yeah. yeah. So that, do it for the love of it, right? Exactly. That's what it means to be amateur. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Marsh, I've said on here before that history, as far as I was concerned, really started when my family came into the followers' church, and they never talked about anything before that, really. They never... Um, that when they came in was they they both of my families my dad's family and my mom's came from California different areas of California but they came to uh, my grandma's family came to Idaho and then my dad's family came to Oregon City mm-hmm. when when did that happen um, oh boy my grandma's family came to Idaho in I want to say in the 30s in the 1930s okay uh, and and then they not very long after that, came to Oregon City. My dad's family did not come into Oregon City until like the 1950s. Okay, so your history goes back to the 30s and the 50s. Yeah. Okay. And I knew of a church in Oklahoma, but that's that's really all I knew. Anything uh, anything prior to the Oregon City Church was looked at as negative in my family. It was the the Idaho Church was wrong. They had fallen. That's the term they'd use and the Oklahoma church had fallen. Um, I didn't really know what that meant, but that's as far as the, the history goes that I know. Sounds like a sort of an Indiana Jones kind of a thing where the, the things are crumbling behind him as he goes. Is that <laughs> right. kind of how you saw it? Yeah. Or how they saw it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it was all about following the right man the, okay. as, as, mm-hmm. as they went from place to place. So I, I'm assuming that, it didn't start, that there's more to it than that. So I know you looked into it, so I was hoping you could tell us. So yeah. About yeah, where would you start? If you're going to tell the story of the history of the followers of Christ Church in Oregon City, where would you start? I would start in upstate New York okay. in uh, the early 1800s. And this was a, uh, this period, like 1815, had all this exciting stuff happening. Uh, Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo. The War of eighteen twelve. I know it's so, War of eighteen twelve. I, I love I love that. We just like jumped in the middle of world yeah. history here when yeah. we're talking about Oregon yeah. City. Yeah, 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 that's cool. The War of eighteen twelve ended in eighteen fifteen, and then there was this volcano that erupted. Um, that it's like, what? Why are we talking about this? But it it was a huge eruption, and it sent the ashes up into the atmosphere, and it caused a really bad period in the world where the year without a summer happened, and crops failed, and and so people were moving because they needed to find the spot where they could survive. And this was going on a lot in uh, upstate New York. It was, was kind of the, the the United States at that point was all on the eastern seaboard. And um, so people were moving. And the further they moved away, it seemed like, from their homes, the more they were open to new ideas. And so um, out of that seemed to come the Second Great Awakening, um, which was this great time of religious revival, but also kind of new maybe fringe religions were also springing up in uh, New York at this time. So um, there was a guy, you, Mark, I don't know, you've probably heard of him, um, a guy named McDonald. His name was John McDonald, but he went by Jacob. So Jacob McDonald, who was born in upstate New York, actually born in Canada, but moved there right after he was born. And he grew up near another person you probably heard of named Joseph Smith, who was mm. six years older than him. They were like pretty close to the same area that they grew up in. Do you think they knew each other? I don't really have anything. Nothing to, would say that they uh, did. Okay. 
But there's a there's well we can go through this. So right about the time McDonald turned 18 was when the Mormon Church started. The Book of Mormon was published, and basically the, these ideas Joseph Smith had happened had were were now taking shape. And so that happened. But there's not a lot of more about McDonald. He got married, he had some kids, and he's living in New York. And then, if you know your Mormon church history, in 1844, Joseph Smith is assassinated. And at that point, what you would—the Mormon church split—there was three people who said, Joseph Smith told me I'm supposed to take over for him. And the one we all know of is Brigham Young took his group out to Utah. Another guy took his group out to Pennsylvania, I believe— but there was a third guy named James Strange who took his group up north to Burlington, Wisconsin. So that's going to be important here. Hmm. So he did that right after 1844, and at the exact same time, McDonald moves to Burlington, Wisconsin. So hmm. I don't have, uh, you know, to take take that for what you will. Um, <clears throat> James Strange, what was attractive about him is he would say Joseph Smith was wrong about plural marriages. So that attracted a lot of people to him. But he quickly um, started to accumulate wives up in Wisconsin. So he kind of backtracked on that. And then he declared himself king of God's kingdom, and he had a throne and a crown and all these weird weird things going on. Strange. 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 Okay. <laughs> and his followers were called Strangeites. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And then so McDonald's wife dies there in Wisconsin, and he marries a daughter of one of James Strange's lieutenants. Um, her name was Jane Walrath. So, and then in 1856, hard to imagine, Strange is assassinated. And so that whole branch of the Mormon church kind of collapsed at that point in the 1850s. And so as far as I can tell at that point, McDonald is holding church at home. He's kind of like starting his own church there, um, and his family and friends are pretty much the only people who are, as far as I can tell, the only people going to that church at the time. And so McDonald kind of disappears except for, you know, in the 1860s come around and we have this big thing that happened in America. You may have heard, you know, the Civil War was going on. And one of the people, there was a guy in the Civil War, his name was Marion Reese, and he mm-hmm. liked to call himself General General Reese, even though there's no record of him actually being a general, but um, he gives this account of while he was alone in his army camp, he had a vision that somebody like came out of the bushes and told him he is supposed to preach. And then sometime after that, after the war ends, uh, supposedly McDonald found him in a field, riding by on his horse, sees him in the field, Reese, Marion Reese working, and he says, come with me, you're going to preach. This is kind of like a, a Jesus-like um, story um, mm-hmm. where you know follow me and let's be fishers of men more or less. So mm-hmm. that's uh, that's up until the 1860s through the 1860s. So uh, yeah, go yeah. ahead. So go ahead. Eight, so in, around the 1860s, the beginning of the Civil War, you've got McDonald and you got Reese. Yeah, and they're in cahoots. They're not in cahoots till after the Civil War. Okay, and which would have been around the, in the late 1860s, early 1870s, somewhere in that. Okay, time frame. yeah. So I have a an old story that I was always told, and I, I'm wondering if this somehow connected to this. So I remember hearing a story of a man that rode into town and said, I have been sent by God to baptize one man. And and then this, I, I thought I was told that it was Marion Reese who said, I am that one man. And and that was how it all started, was, uh, was the way I was told the story. Is that Sounds That's a different version than what you're saying here. Different version of the same. I think that probably the same story where in my story that I was told he was, he was like in his field farming when, okay. they, when they had this encounter with each other. But Okay. Okay. Hmm. And then uh, we get to the 1870s, and this is where we can really start to get a lot more information about what they were doing because there's a ton of newspaper articles from the 1870s. They were – Definitely different than other churches. So people were coming to see what was happening, and they were reporting it in the newspaper. And so lots of towns, and they were where they were operating was southeast Kansas. And if you can imagine southeast Kansas in the 1870s, this was the Wild West. You had like Jesse James and Doc Holliday and Wyatt Earp and just uh, 
Billy the Kid. I mean, all, all these people were moving through that area, and you also had McDonald and Reese there in that same time period, same area. Um, and with all these articles, so one of the things that right away is mentioned in these articles is the miracles there. You know, they're curing the sick, they're raising the dead, speaking in tongues, um, drinking poison and not being hurt. And then a, a very common thing you'll see is snake handling was a huge thing. Uh, come to the meeting, we're gonna we're gonna handle snakes, and so this was a big deal. Well, that is the Wild West, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that you know it's important because you say Kansas, I think I don't know cornfields or sleepy little towns that play football on Friday nights, and this that's not what was happening. Dodge City. Yes, yeah. th- what was happening was the Wild West. And, you know, if you do see movies of the Wild West, you see movies of um, th- these guys pulling these wagons into town with a, with a special elixir and all mm-hmm. the things. That's more of what we're talking about, isn't it? Yeah, this was, I think it was the Wild West in a lot of different ways. I think, like you said, these, these you're out there kind of in the frontier at that time. And, mm-hmm. you know, this would have been a lot of different people rolling, th- rolling through town with, you know, come hear what I have to say, totally. Um, and these articles mention some bad things too. Um, that wasn't all great things. Uh, they were snake handling. So as you might expect, a common thing that happened was snake bites. And then another thing mentioned, uh, in these articles was that they were when that happened. (laughs) Yeah. It's wasn't in the plan, but, uh, they were forbidden to use medicine at this church, which was unheard of as none of these articles had ever heard of anybody doing that. So you have people bitten by a snake not using medicine. So this was pretty big news in the newspaper of like, you know, what's going to happen here. And well, I, th- I think it's important to say medicine wasn't all as cracked up to be then. And the civil war had just happened that if you want to hear some great stories about medicine gone wrong, you know, just, Oh, oh yeah. yeah, you got an infection. Let's chop it off. You know, that, mm-hmm. and maybe yeah. you'll live, maybe you won't, you know? which, which then I can understand not wanting that medicine for sure. Yeah. 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 yeah, when yeah. and and then you do it in the name of putting your faith in God rather than man. Well, if man's option is to chop your arm off, then it's <laughs> it's not that tempting really to put your faith in man. Right? You know? Yeah, that's a different whole different level. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and and then we around this time, like 1878, we have the first mention of a child dying from lack of medical care. This was a pretty big deal, and then we also see a couple cases in the. That made the news that people at the church had chosen to choose to use medicine and were disfellowshipped from the church because of that. Um, so would this be what you might say is the direct line of the followers of Christ? Are they called something different at this point? They were called the followers of Christ in these newspaper articles. Right then, okay. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so this is very much then in the sweet spot of where we've ended up, kind of. Yep. Yeah. Okay. And you said, did you, you said that uh, one group was called the Strangeites. Mm-hmm. Was there, was there a version of that with, Mc, were there the McDonaldites or there, the Reeseites? Or? I never heard of the Reeseites, but definitely you will see in the newspaper articles, they'll side by side interchangeably use McDonaldites and followers of Christ as. Uh, in the early days. Yep. That didn't, obviously probably didn't it faded. last after him. Yeah. Right. And, yeah. uh, Definitely, you'll see in the articles a lot of, over and over again, they were mistaken for Mormons. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I don't know what to make of that. This religion comes to town, and it's new and unheard of, and people just kind of write them off as, oh, it's another group of Mormons coming to town. But mm-hmm. they would make great go to great lengths to say that we are not Mormons. And, I mean, in all fairness, the Mormons <clears throat> were moving west, too. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a migration mm-hmm. of Mormons to the west. Yeah. So when you're in the west and... You know, you you don't seem to believe what the Methodists believed in the, you know, your circuit-riding Methodist preacher. They probably did look for a label and ended up with Mormon more often than not. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. And so there's this one of those newspaper articles that really stands out to me where a guy had been basically disfellowshipped, kicked out of the church, however you want to say it. And he gives an account of how that happened. And uh, he says... Uh, that his son had been sick and that Marion Reese had come to see him. And Reese, uh, 
asked him, you know, what's going on? He said, uh, my son had been very sick since he had seen me and that I had called the doctor, is what I told him. And Reese observed to me, I'd let him have died first. And I said, you might, but I would not. And then he said that Reese came back the next day and told him to come to church because there's going to be a church trial where they vote on how to, what to do with the, about this guy who sought medicine for his son. And he was uh, uh, voted out in that meeting. Mm. Are, are there any indications with either Reese or McDonald of what their title was with the church? Were they labeled uh, preacher? Were they labeled apostle? Were they labeled minister? Do you know? They, yeah. Um, a lot of people called them apostles. I'm trying to think of what they called themselves. Well, uh, these articles say the reverends. Reverends, definitely. Mm. Uh, lots of different, lots of different titles for them. Uh, you know, uh, evangelists, uh, preachers. Uh, right. Uh, later, the term apostles would start to get added to their name. I don't know if they were calling themselves that at that time. That's the reason I'm asking, really, is because I, I actually remember in my lifetime, I think I remember that changing to where mm-hmm. uh, current leadership was, when I was young, Not I didn't remember hearing apostle as much. So I, I was just trying to track back to if there was any mention of, of that in the early beginnings of the church. Yeah, I, I did not see that in any of these articles. And that probably would have been a pretty big thing that they would have mentioned because I don't think a lot of people were calling themselves that at that time. But Right. Well, the other thing, you, you make it sound like this is a big tribunal of, you know, they're going to try this guy, right? Mm-hmm. There probably were, what, 50 yeah. or so people in that church at the time? Yeah, yeah. And it, that same letter mentions that there were about 50 people at that trial and uh, also mentions that the church had started the previous fall. So, mm-hmm. Mark, you kind of mentioned, you know, your version of history growing up. My version of history was that I was told was that the book of Acts happened and that's when the follower church started. And it had always been there just Mm. kind of through the annals of history off on the edges of society. There was always a followers church down through time. And I remember I I had a Catholic coworker, very devout Catholic. And he, uh, one time he asked me, uh, what, what time did your, your church break away from the Catholic church? And I'm like, oh, oh, sir, uh, no. Let me Our straighten church, this out yeah. for you. And then yeah. he, he, his response was just to laugh and like, you know, oh, bless your heart. Um, I didn't really understand that. But, uh, yeah, uh, this, this seems to be the beginning of, like, the formal church here in the 1870s. There's just not a lot to support this yeah. alternate history where it goes back well, th- th- there is quite a bit, though, and you alluded to a lot of it, to support the beginning after the Second Great Awakening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there were a number of different uh, religions that began then. There were a number of, um, there was an anti-authoritarian kind of a mood in the country, and in religion in particular, like the tent meetings instead of meeting in church. There was right. all of these other auxiliary influences that would make the birth of an organization like this really likely mm-hmm. and so likely that it happened several different times, even in upstate New York. Yeah. So yeah, I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it began after the, as a result of the second great awakening. And, and there are a couple of other clues to that too. It seemed like a lot of the churches that were starting around that time, they were kind of the countercultural church. They were come and uh, get away from the world come out of the world uh, or what what joseph smith's thing was this great awakening is happening and it's a come to jesus jesus is your savior moment and he played on the it's not that easy there's there's more you need to do something and i've i've got the revelation from god that this is what you need to do and right and that that speaks to a person like yeah, yeah I, I i do need to do something you know and that would attract people you know yeah the other thing that I think a lot of the churches that started then, and I, I don't I don't know that much of the history of the Mormon church as far as this goes, but there was a lot of that, those signs you're talking about, the, the snake handling, the uh, drinking poison. I mean, these are the things from, from the end of Mark's gospel, the, mm-hmm. the five signs that follow those who believe, and they're 
There was a big Pentecostal movement, it seemed like, uh, around this time, too. So it's, I just don't think the followers were the only church that started right around this time. Oh, 100% they weren't. Yeah. You're right. Uh, they, they were probably the ones that got in the news for these things. I think the interesting thing about the followers is that the Pentecostal thing, the speaking in tongues, the snake handling, this was all stuff that if you look it up on Wikipedia, you're going to find it started in the early 1900s. And they'll say this is the first time that people were going to church and seeing snake handling, but there's newspaper articles of this stuff. So I'm not saying that these things, the followers started these things, but uh, they do seem to be doing things unique to them before it was going on in other places. And those other places were cities. Mm-hmm. So that's some of the, that's some of what happened is that like the, the birth of the Pentecostal movement in the uh, ni- early 1900s was in the cities in Los yeah. Angeles. Los in particular. Angeles. Okay. And so the, mm-hmm. the migration across the country here mm-hmm. is, uh, is, is early and interesting. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the 1880s, not uh, this is a not a lot happened that I can talk about. I mean, that's about the time my great great grandparents became followers. They moved from Kentucky to Kansas and uh, seemed to join the church about them, the Morris family. Mm. Um, in 1889, uh, several follower families had their number drawn for the Oklahoma land rush. So they got some property down in the uh, formerly I think Indian territory. Now it's uh, part of Oklahoma. So. That would be significant here because in 1891, McDonald dies and um, is kind of basically makes Reese the new leader of the church and uh, they would move down to Oklahoma. So we're talking, when you were talking about the church, I mean, my, my thinking about church history is like the Methodist church or the Baptist church, which in this period of time was everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. That's not what you're talking about now. You're talking about really one local church. It would be a network, network of small churches in Southeast Kansas, as far as I can tell. But they are all really all, connected and they're all close together, really, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then they get, so. The, but the reason that the land rush is important is because that's sort of the dispersion, right? That's, is that what happens? Yeah. Some people moved to Oklahoma at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, after McDonald died, I think it was just an attractive place. There's land down there. There's people we know down there. Let's just go ahead and move. And so my family, my my Morris family moved down to Oklahoma at that time, right around the early 1890s. So you think like all of those little churches then from Kansas moved or did they not I, all move? I don't think everybody moved, well, but I think that serious people about what they believe did move down to Oklahoma. Mm. Yeah. I think um, what's different about the follower church then and the church I knew growing up was that moving about, you know, I got a job opportunity over here. I'm going to go take it, right? This wasn't looked down on like like the church I grew up in would have been. So I think people, hey, I got some, got a land down in Oklahoma. I'm going to head down there. Um, it, was, it was okay. You know, that wasn't, you know, mm. a little different. But, but that, wasn't that okay, though, because the kind of the church itself moved down there? The, or did just enough the, of them move down there that then the church right moved? yeah the church didn't I think it was enough people moved down there that it was okay. like oh, okay let's just move down to Oklahoma there's some land down there there's opportunities okay. new people we can evangelize and yeah hmm. so in Oklahoma at this time this new guy appears um, his name was Charlie Smith uh, he joins the church he was a recently divorced guy of uh, father of one but now he's uh, unhitched from that marriage and uh, shows up in Oklahoma and he marries into my like great 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 aunt um, who happens to also be the wife or the uh, sister of Reese's wife so Reese and Charlie Smith are now brother-in-law brothers-in-law um, they got married in 1895 and uh, this is you know the church in uh, Oklahoma this started out being like the story of the fathers of Christ church now it's I'm sorry, I can't help but insert no, myself into this. No, story. no, no. That, to, to me, that makes it more personal because yeah. all of a sudden, this is these are real people. This yeah. See, yeah. that's, I think, one of the things that happens in history is you think there's this little cardboard person moving from from Kansas to Oklahoma or something. But this is, this, this is, these are actually real people, and you're actually living proof that they were here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. there you go. 
Yeah. Um, and then so Charlie is this very, he's a big personality. Uh, he, you know, people that remember him that I talked to when I was younger said that he liked to whip men, whip men in the word. He just he liked to overpower them with his personality. And um, newspaper articles say that he, he could recite a whole book of the Bible from memory. Um, so just a, just a, Tall, tall, big personality, and um, in 1899, he moves over to Idaho. It's a, kind of like a church plant, I guess. That we're going to go out to Idaho, and why Idaho, I don't know exactly, but um, that's that's when you first see him appearing in Idaho. Be- before we move to Idaho, let's, yeah. I, I have a question. With Charlie, you, you introduced, you said recently divorced, he has one child, then he remarries. Where, where does he receive his call to preach is he has that already happened at this time or he was baptized by Reese that's in the baptismal records okay. uh, Reese is pretty much the leader of the church at this time so I don't have a 100% you know written account of that but I would assume Marion Reese has called Charlie just like McDonald called Reese so they could that's interesting to me and maybe we'll talk about it more at the end of this but a man with that position could call another man to the same position at that time? Right. You'd have to be a called man to call another man. And right. so this was that was a big deal. It's also a Mormon thing. This is a mm-hmm. huge practice in the Mormon church that the only way you have to okay. be called by somebody who was called by somebody, et cetera, all the way back. So okay. um, this was something the followers were doing at the same time. It's just interesting to me. It makes me wonder why if— they wanted the church to keep going. Why didn't Walter call someone to well, continue I, the... I think there's an easy answer to that question, yeah. <laughs> but we can get there. We'll get there, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know the answer, so I'll look forward to it. Yeah. Uh, this is the in the newspaper articles about Charlie coming to Idaho. They're great if you can look them up, but um, this is the first time we see him mentioning that they are practicing the Holy Kiss. This is a big mm-hmm. part of the church meeting seemed to be unheard of by anybody who in the time that uh, like and there's accounts of people coming to the church just so they could seems to be just so they could stand in line and kiss the ladies It'd be kind of but I, I think what it doesn't mention is that they also had to kiss the guys too so um, anyway this was a a big deal in the newspaper article and and also that they were preaching a new gospel this is uh the first time that's mentioned so um, which immediately brings to mind Galatians, you know, where we see uh, talk about a different gospel happening. Yeah. Which I think, so again, I'm not, you, you're more what, spiritual than I am. I didn't think of Galatians. I thought of the what the Methodist circuit riders would have been preaching or what the Baptist circuit riders would have been preaching. In other words, here here you've probably got an entire town that's, mostly not literate and you've Mm -hmm. got preachers who hold forth on Sundays as the, and they probably are pretty good in that they're sort of the entertainment of the town. And then somebody like this comes in with, who is more entertaining and had, and, and they're not, and I think some of it is they're not part of the established church. So. Um, Yeah, exactly. You're right on it because what was happening, and this is a big story in the newspapers, is that they would come in and do like a church takeover. So there would oh. be, say, a Baptist church meeting, and Charlie and other people would come in, and they would start speaking in tongues and uh, kind of like, hey, if you want to hear the new gospel, come over to our church. If you want to freak the Baptists out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's pesky Baptists. Oh, what, 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 a couple of times there's a, it got Charlie landed in jail for the, he was basically, you know, disturbing the peace. He would come in and, you know, this was a not, not allowed to go and just walk into any church and say, you know, I'm here to take over. Um, but this was kind of seemed to be their practice at the time. Hmm. And then it's uh, not long after this that a new family moves up from Utah, uh, former Mormons, a uh, prominent Mormon family, but they move up to Idaho and it's the White family. Um, and they become followers um, right early 1900s, and uh, Charlie would baptize members of that family. The White family began as Mormon. Yeah. So there's like another intersection 
mm-hmm. here. Oh, that's really interesting. I didn't Lots have any of, idea about that. Yeah, you just keep circling Cause back. Because it, it isn't yeah. just that there was like, oh, upstate New York in the late 1800s, it was even as late as the White family coming to Idaho mm-hmm. that you had this crossover with Mormonism. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, yeah and then uh, so not long after that, Marion Reese dies in Oklahoma. So... Charlie kind of becomes the, the new leader of the follower church at that point. And when, I, I want to point out here, I keep saying, you know, McDonald was a leader, and then Reese was the leader, now Charlie's the leader. At that time, there was a lot of people who were of equal standing as far as being called men. Reese called this person, and Charlie called these people. And so even though it, what made Charlie the leader was he was like the biggest personality. He was the one who could have the most influence. It wasn't necessarily like a title necessarily, but he definitely seemed to, his activities seemed to be leading the church at that time. Hmm. And then so we get to about, you know, the 1920s now, and a member of that white family named Walter, he's a young man in his early 20s, uh, he starts to have visions and dreams that he's supposed to preach. And um, so not, not called by another man. He... Uh, basically goes to Charlie with these visions, and and uh, this is stories that I'm repeating here. Um, that I've had these visions, these dreams, and Charlie basically says, "Oh, let's let's uh, see what's going on here with that and try it out." And eventually, yeah, Charlie would basically call him to preach. Okay, so that is different. I mean, I, I think this is noteworthy. That is different from what I was told. I was told that Walter was directly called by God. Through, through these, that's what these visions would have been. And then they call, they labeled the, the conversation with Charlie and the current leadership as, you know, him coming and that that would be his confirmation. That would have mm-hmm. been the, so you had to have a calling and then you had to be confirmed by other men who had a calling. So that's why I was trying to sort out the, the, um, Marion Reese, uh, that- if I want to know if that was a new thing. That probably is one of those things became defined over time. Mm-hmm. Probably one of those things that actually, even in Oregon City, became a thing that yeah. wasn't maybe a thing in the same way before. Right. Just given the circumstances that Walter was in the middle of. Yeah. 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 I mean, according to letters, Charlie was Charlie told Walter to go go to Oregon and yep. start preaching there. Right. And that would have been a that's a calling. I don't know if you know if we could definitely like you said, Scott. We could label that different ways. But. Yeah, I do remember that, that Charlie's saying the Oregon City Church is going to be your church right. the, the, in sending him to do that. Um, okay, yeah, uh, I think I think we're on the same page there. So, so what? when was this, early 1900s? This is 1920s. 1920s. So Oregon City was so in the not 19... the frontier anymore. No, it was, you know, it was an established community with churches right. and... and uh, uh, it would be the 1930s that Walter would start. He was his preaching in the 1920s would have been in Idaho. Okay, um, but in the 1930s he starts traveling back and forth between Oregon City and Idaho. Um, mm-hmm. He actually before he even lived here, he had a, one of his children were born here, and then in 1938 he permanently moved out to Oregon City here. Yeah, and then also in 1938, the same year is when Charlie died. So Walter uh, kind of became the new leader of the followers of Christ Church at that point. But in a different location, because Charlie yeah. had been in Idaho, and Walter now is in Oregon, but now he kind of ascends yeah. to the... And okay, I'm a little bit unclear on <laughs> if Charlie had a like an actual home church. I, I was told that he was an evangelist, and that he would go start churches, and that he had started one in California, one mm-hmm. in... Yeah, he um, dies in California. He dies in California. And, and, you know, you read his letters, definitely he's moving around. There's mention of a, a church in Mexico in one of his letters that, yeah. you know, so definitely he's he's making the rounds, probably back and forth to Oklahoma too. I mean, you know, this is a, a different era, so it was yeah. this was a long trip to, to make Yeah, probably horseback. Yeah. Yeah. So just this this off topic, yeah. are you a direct descendant of Charlie? Then? No, I, I'm a direct... I got lost. I got lost there. <laughs> Charlie married somebody to be like a great aunt. So his wife, okay. one of her brothers would have been uh, an ancestor of mine. Okay. Yeah. Same with Reese. Yeah. Okay. So with both of them? 
Yeah. So you're you're in the court, but you're not the king. Your family's not the king. No, Sorry. no, we're okay. we're uh, we're a minor family. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> anyway, I sorry, I just uh, wanted to make sure that I knew how important you were. Not at all. Okay. Yeah, no, you can ask any follower; they'll tell you. Um, sorry, I got to give Mark a chance to recover here. Um, so, in the 1940s, we had this account of Walter kind of feeling his his control uh, slipping, his influence over maybe you know these other churches around Idaho, uh, Oklahoma, and he begins to. I don't know exactly when; it's not clear, but there's a lot of accounts of him starting to denounce other churches, other preachers, late in the 40s, maybe mid to late 40s. Um, and some of it was for good reason, definitely. Like, mm. you know, there was a, a guy who was starting a relationship with a 15-year-old girl. You know, there's, there's uh, this is provable. That, like a called man who yeah, was doing yeah, that? Okay. Yes. Yeah. So definitely, you know, um, other times it seems to be, uh, I said this and he disagreed with me. So he's he's no more. He's his calling is gone, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, okay, but what did, what did he say? I don't, I know, maybe I'd like to know a little more about that, but. Well, again, I mean, I think you're, you're pressing into the, what does scripture say? What's the religious part? But I'm thinking about the way the world was here. You're right after world war two. Uh, well, you're, you're not quite even yet. Well, maybe you're right after world. I war think it was II, after but, world war two. Yeah. Okay. But you're, I mean, think about how to, how in the world would you, control or lead Oklahoma and Idaho and Northern oh, California and sure. Oregon mm -hmm. from here. It's not like you could all get on a Zoom call or anything. I mean, the very different world. Totally. And so, of course, they're going to go their own separate ways at that distance, I would think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Um, I, I will, I do think, I do think it was more than just inconvenience, though, okay. with, with the followers. Um and I'm hoping to have somebody on here that can help us with the Idaho-Oregon City difference here coming up soon. But um, Walter did, the, he had an uncle who was a preacher at Idaho. His name was George White. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the, the leader at that church, Marshall mentioned the troubles that he had gotten into. And the story that I was always told is that Walter's uncle wouldn't denounce him, wouldn't he continued to be the leader after this trouble came to light at, okay. at Idaho, this relationship with the 15 and What does Walter's uncle have to do with? Walter's, Walter did denounce him. Walter's uncle did not. And so they couldn't coexist is what I was told. Oh, I see. Okay. So then Walter moved to Oregon City. And then the Idaho church, in my version of the history, became bad. It was no longer the the one right, like they are not the true followers of Christ anymore. We are now in Oregon city. Okay. And this is really in my history, the birth of the one right church. It was this location. Yeah. I have it. Uh, it seems by, by 1952, every single other church, every single other called man was, mm -hmm. had been denounced at that point. And there seemed to be this call that went out from Walter. If you want to go to the one right church, you got to move to Oregon City. That's when my, yeah. my grandparents moved from Oklahoma right around 1951 uh, to Oregon City, or right here in West Lynn, actually. So so somehow he got the word out to these other churches yeah. Yeah. that now Oregon City, what, really? Yeah, he had been going down to California where my grandparents were. This was before my dad was born. Um, and he had been traveling down there and preaching to this group. And he he left a group there. But he, he told them that he had a dream that they had a move coming, that they were going to have to move. And then uh, a little while later, he told them this thing that Marshall's talking about. If you, I, I had a dream that you, you were in need of salt and you, you need to come up there. And it, it, this, I think, has to have some of the convenience. He, he probably didn't want to keep traveling down there uh, so often. So, mm -hmm. And they did. They all... That's when my family, my dad's family moved up here, and my dad was born in 1952. And, um, and they didn't move alone. They moved with no. a bunch of other people? Yeah, there were some elders that he had ordained down there. Uh, and, and there were, in my memory, there were five or six families that were gathering in homes on Sundays, and, and they all moved up here uh, in, in the early 1950s. Was that enough then to close things down in California? 
as far as I know, the, these, like I said, they were just a home group. So I, I don't think there was anything too closed down. I think. It, oh, I see. In, in that part of California. Yeah, seems to be okay. Yeah. Uh, yes, yeah, so, but Oklahoma definitely didn't. There wasn't enough people that moved out of there. It was, you know, my my story growing up was that my grandma had to leave all of her Morris family behind there in Oklahoma because she mm -hmm. was the only one of her family that moved out here. So, you know, it was kind of this tragic story of too bad her family didn't see the, the right thing to do. And, um, yeah, so Oklahoma continued on Idaho. You know, I think some people moved out from Idaho, but that mm -hmm. church continued on too. And okay. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Interesting. Then, so now we're, you know, into the 1960s and I, Scott, I mean, you were there. I don't need to tell you about what was going on in the world in the 1960s, but yeah, you might need to. <laughs> <laughs> it was a weird time in America, in the world. You know, we had the the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis and the Cold War and the space race and hippies and you know, great music and uh, some cool cars too. But uh, this was just it was a you know, you could have looked out the window probably if you were an older man, you would have thought. This is the end of the world. Like, I, I don't recognize this world out my window, right? Well, yeah, the Cold War was a big part of that, for sure. And uh, there is, if anybody, so this is just extra, but if anybody's interested in what you're talking about, there is uh, uh, Route 66 was a show in the 60s, late mm -hmm. 60s, and they film an episode of driving down Broadway Street in Westland into Oregon City. And mm -hmm. the whole rest of the shot, or the whole rest of the thing is shot in Oregon city. You can still mm -hmm. see the house that was in the show. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I, uh, I watched it the other day, but it did give me a flavor for the time period mm -hmm. you're talking about mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is when Walter has some dreams, apparently where, uh, it's, he needs to, from the dreams, he needs to end the baptism at, and it's at the follower church, but in the follower mind, this meant baptism period everywhere mm -hmm. ended and the, you know, the end of the world's gonna, is, is coming soon. Um, I think it wasn't necessarily set date, but it was a by, it's gonna happen by this date. I think it was like March, 1972. I could be wrong on that. Well, that but. You, that's more, I haven't heard a date set on it. What I was always told was these, that he said that he was told in the dream that baptism would end in three years and time would end in six years. Right. And that, that was always the version that I was told. Yeah. So ending baptism, at a church effectively, I mean, that has an effect. I don't know if this was intended, but the, the effect that it had was that it isolates the church. You can't, you can't be a new person moving to town. Oh, I, there's this cool church. I want to join it. Well, if you can't be baptized, you can't really become part of the church. So it effectively shut the doors to the church at that point. And this, uh, you know, you asked earlier, why didn't Walter call somebody to replace him after? And I, I he didn't think the world was going to, be around. So right. why would oh, I need to call that's true. Somebody? Of course. I didn't think about that. Yeah. The world's ending, you know, we don't, Hey, we're all good. We'll see you on the other side. But, um, he died in 1969. Walter did, and there was nobody named to follow after him. So mm -hmm. everybody else had been denounced. Every church had been denounced. You have a church that can't take in new people from the outside. So you have this interesting situation where you have a church, you know, as we're going into the 1970s, you have a church that thinks the world's about to end. Uh, there's no real leader. There were some elders left in charge to manage things, but um, can can I just ask how big was the church then? Any oh, idea? Ooh, several hundred, probably. I don't know exactly. Uh, yeah, I, what this wasn't the the height of it necessarily. No, as far as number of people. no, it would grow a lot after that. Oh, okay, yeah, interesting. Uh, but the world didn't end. You, I don't know if you guys heard this. Uh, we talked about this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I hope I'm not shocking anybody listening. We talked if there's about anybody the world left, not ending. Yes. Okay. Yeah, if there's anybody left listening at this point, the world didn't end. So the church kind of carries on. I think people kind of thought, well, the year, you know, it's, maybe next year the world will end. I don't know what, you know, but the, there wasn't any sort of like we need to figure something out here because things didn't go the way we thought they were. Um, the church kind of just floated along, like time stopped in a way, uh, moving forward. Which mm -hmm. just a little parenthesis here as far as how people process their eschatology or their end times beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there are a lot of people outside of followers 
who sort of take this truncated view, it's not going to matter because it will all pan out in the end right. or, you know, and, and rather than plan on a full life, people don't do that. And mm-hmm. I just, I, I mean, I just thought it was worth stopping to say, you know what, why don't you plan as though it's going to go on and then, yeah. um, yeah. Yeah, worry about it after the fact, I suppose. But and, sure, and pre- be prepared, right? Because it, Jesus is going to come back. Right, be prepared be, for be it to come prepared. back and plan for it not to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both. yeah. Make long-term preparations. There you go, long-term. Yeah. That's the right word. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about that. So, since this is a podcast about me, nineteen uh, seventies also. I was born then, so <laughs> very uh, good year. Yeah, yeah, nineteen seventy-five. Yeah, good year. Um, so in the 1980s, that's when the last elder that Walter left in charge died, 1986. So at that point, there was, I vaguely remember this, some sort of meeting about, like, how are we going to go on now at this point? And, you know, it was there was arrangements made. We'll just do these these things and continue forward even after that. Right? Yeah. But, I mean, that's not just... Um it's a little bit more than just a, a corporation doing this when, when the boss isn't around anymore. That We had to make decisions about how, are, how is a Sunday service going to look? What, yeah. what are we going to do? What do we have the ability to do? Are we, who's going to marry the people in our church? Because we don't go to the courthouse to get married. We, we need someone... The, the elders always did the marrying, and you only marry within the church, so we needed to figure out who is going to be in charge of these things, and it was it was confrontational. Uh, it was um, controversial. That's the word I mean. It, oh, sure. it probably was a little confrontation, too, but um, do we have the authority to marry someone? It, it, I mean, these were the questions that were being asked, like, it's always been called men or elders who were ordained by called men. Now are we just saying anyone can mm. perform a marriage ceremony? It was a big deal. Where did it land? <sighs> uh, well, I mean, it didn't. Um, I don't know the, how to answer that. Uh, you I, guys are making me nervous now. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It, it, I think what Scott said, it, what it landed was we, there were some board members mm. who were, um, boy, Elected, appointed, I, I don't okay. know. Uh, but I think appointed and then approved, would, like by yeah, election, would yeah, be the probably. best way to probably. Appointed okay. and then approved, and then it was voted on and agreed that they would go get the license to be able to marry people by yeah. the state. Okay. So, I'm so glad yeah. they decided that we could still get married. Yeah, that's what made me right. nervous, actually. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, yeah. what is, this? is there something you guys haven't told yeah. me here? That would have been really okay. sad. Um, yeah. But... So we roll into the 1990s now. This is my prime time. You know, I'm in, I'm in high school about this time. And so all along the way here, what I haven't mentioned very much is that adults and children are dying prematurely. And mm-hmm. it, I would say, you know, if you went through all the different churches and all the different states, we're talking about hundreds of people, maybe hundreds of kids even. Um, we're talking, you know, in the 1990s, this would have been well over 100 years of church history, lots and lots of people. Um but in the, 19, the late 90s, uh, there was a sudden uptick, mm-hmm. uh, just a rash of kids dying all at once. And it, it really uh, got the attention of the local and even national news. Um, it was a huge story uh, in the newspaper, and it put a lot of pressure on lawmakers to, to change a law. So in Oregon, there was a law at the time that said, uh, if your kid died and you hadn't given the medicine, you, were, you could not be prosecuted if... You, if it was a religious objection. Mm-hmm. And so lawmakers recognized this was a problem, so they, they changed the law uh, in the late 90s. And so um, this was a pretty big shift for the follower church at yeah. that point um, because in the 2000s we see kids are still dying, but now parents for the first time are starting to get prosecuted and go to jail. Um, mm-hmm. And this would, you know, I, I can't really tell a story about the follower church history, I feel like, without mentioning this. And we'll see, like, if you if you follow the story, the cases that have gone through, you're going to see a continuous escalation in penalties of, you know, at first just maybe a month in jail and then a year in prison and then five years in prison. And, and sadly, this is still going on today. Um, mm-hmm. There was a case, you know, just a few months ago that hasn't hasn't been brought to an indictment yet, but probably will soon of a, of a child dying tragically. 
Um, so that's a, that's a part of the church history. Um, thankfully, I can report in the 2010s, we had this sort of revival take place within the church um, where, um, as far as I can see, this would be like the first time that people are talking about Jesus and um, what he did. Uh, you're not going to see, if I look back to these letters and newspaper articles, you're not going to see Jesus mentioned very much throughout this, uh, hardly at all, I would say. If, the, if we did a word count, you'd see uh, 20,000 words, and Jesus' name would have been mentioned like five times throughout this history that I've looked through. On, on the other hand, just to point out, we've, we've talked, even just now talking, we've talked a lot about McDonald, we've talked a lot about Reese, we've talked a lot about Charlie, we've talked a lot mm-hmm. about Walter. It, it was very... The, one of the biggest things of the history of the followers is it is very central around, uh, or the, the leadership is central there. It's, it's about, even, even as the churches became either right or wrong, that had everything to do with the leader that you were following. Uh, and, and to Marshall's point, and I've said on here before, um, Jesus was just not a part of my life here. And hearing stories, the history of my family coming into the church, hearing the story of all the other families coming into the church, that's what religion was when you talked about it. It was hearing the story of coming to the church. It wasn't about Jesus. I never heard a story of someone coming to faith in Jesus. I'm not saying that nobody did, but the stories were framed in joining the followers church. It was not in coming to faith in Jesus. So growing up, I thought those were one and the same. Like I, I just had right. this idea that, oh, that, that must be the same thing. Well, I found out at 45 that that is not the same thing. So, mm. yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, I wish I could say that this revival was the entire church in Oregon City all came to faith. Uh, hundreds did. I can say that for sure, mm-hmm. which is wonderful. I'm super happy about that, but there are still, you know, probably well over a thousand people as part of that church in Oregon City who um, are not not putting their trust in Jesus. So, um, you know, there's definitely a lot to pray for for this church to this day as we record this. So, yeah. Um, I would say the the little bit of the, the revival that happened there, I shouldn't downplay it. It's a huge deal, but it did make the people who didn't come to Jesus uh really circle the wagons, uh, mm-hmm. really become even more strict and isolated from that. And sort of entrench, entrench in their position. D- digging in, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. But I didn't think about it, but if you think about the, you know, the revival that happened then, mm-hmm. and there were hundreds, yeah. I mean, it was just not that long ago in, you know, like 10 minutes or something in our story <laughs> when there weren't even a hundred people in the whole, you know, organization. You know, right. Uh, and so the, that does make it seem more significant to me, I guess, that that was, that was a real thing. Yeah. Um, and maybe you'll talk about it in a future podcast. This sort of revival that we saw in Oregon City, completely unknown to us, was happening in other areas of the follower church around the same time. So yeah. Yeah. probably don't have time today to talk about it. But. No, but that, but that is interesting because and, and since you talked about history, I'm thinking back to upstate New York when several things were happening in various places in upstate Mm -hmm. New York for, you know, other reasons. I wonder if there were things that were unique about the late 2010s, I guess, Mm. that would have made Mm. that happen here. I don't know. I just makes me ask the question. Yeah. So maybe 200 years now, somebody will be able to point that out for us. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I mean, that's that's pretty much my uh, from my research, the history that I've uncovered. I don't really have much more here. I don't know if you guys have any other questions. I, I have some concluding thoughts. I don't know. Okay. Yeah, let's hear them. Okay. So this this story is uh, it's of a church that considers itself the one right church. Right, this name of the podcast. Um, and the people I know this because I was one of them. That they, they the people that attend this church. They would, they would tell you the story of this, this one right church they attend, um, or they would tell you about being baptized by the one right guy, or in my case, my parents being baptized, or my grandparents being. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they would tell you the story of, like, all the good things they've done. So, um, so can I interrupt you right there? Yeah. Do, you think, do you think I would hear the same story you just told us 
from other people or do they not know the history? I mean, are, is, a, is that a common thing? I think uh, the story, they, similar to Mark, their story would be of Walter. Um, and as far as how Walter, the, what happened before Walter didn't, I don't think it mattered. Some people, when I, when I was younger, talked about Charlie Smith, mm-hmm. the person before Walter. But even Same by the time I was an adult, we didn't hear, nobody talked okay. about Charlie um, anymore. Yeah. Okay. I just was um, curious. I was just a, I, I love history. And mm-hmm. so like, naturally I'd want to know the history of the church I belong to. And so I started doing, you know, like, oh, well, let's look back. And one, one thing worth, I, I think, to answer your question, had I looked at this same information that Marshall is telling us about, had I looked at this information 10 years ago, I would have easily and quickly dismissed it and said that they, uh, any newspaper article, well, they just, they just hated us. They, they were just persecuting us or what, and just didn't, wouldn't have trusted it. For, for this stuff to become history to you, it, it's, it's kind of similar to when you're reading the Bible. You, you have to be willing to admit that you might be wrong. Like that's the first step is you have to be, you have to kind of level set. Like maybe if I was reading that 10 years ago, it would have been from this place of, I know I'm right. So anything I read contrary to me is obviously wrong. And so it's a, yeah. Yeah. yeah and a, I, <laughs> I want to point out that what I've, the storyline I've, brought to you is it's from census reports. It's from newspaper mm-hmm. articles. It's from uh, personal accounts of people who are there. So I've, I've tried to not bring in my own, Yeah, you know, if, if you disagree with this, it's, it's uh, a lot, you're disagreeing with your own, you know, what your, your great grandparents said back at the time, you know, or what, what the federal government recorded when they went around, you know, where people lived right. and where they moved to. So I hope it's not viewed as just my opinion of what happened or how it went. Sure. Um, yeah, no, I, I certainly don't view it as that now. I'm, I'm just saying that to, to Scott's question, it, it's about your perspective a lot. When I, you, didn't, I didn't think you viewed it that way, but perhaps somebody else listening to this might, yeah. might see it that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, good. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the story, though, like we said before, we, we don't see Jesus mentioned in this story. This isn't mm-hmm. the church that's a story of a church trying to bring Jesus's message to the world. Um, and I just want to say to the people who you know would stand behind the story of their church that if you're standing at the judgment and your story is, I was baptized by so-and-so, or I went to this particular church, uh, it, this is not going to be the story that gets a person into eternal rest. I, I don't know how to, how to sugarcoat that at all. Yeah. Um, if your story is anything other than I was a sinner, but Jesus's love paid the ransom for me, um, then, you know, your story isn't, isn't going to work for you. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry to, to be the bearer of bad news. <laughs> your story needs to be Jesus's story that I was this and Jesus changed my life. Yeah. Well, I think that's being the bearer of good news, actually. So. There, there, there you go. That. That's yeah. probably a good way to say it. I don't think it, it's yeah. the bearer of bad news at all. But. Yeah. And did you have anything? We, we've got what you're telling me, this story. Uh, we would sing a song out there um, yes. of Tell Me the Story of Jesus. Yeah. And do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I, I know it's been on your podcast before, but I just, you know, we're talking about a story here. And so, yeah, the, I just love the, uh, there's a lot of, a lot of hymns we sang out there that were so good, but, um, especially now as we, we come to, uh, Christmas time, I don't you know, I think when this podcast mm-hmm. airs, it will be pretty close. So, um, you know, that, that song, tell me the story of Jesus, the first verse, uh, tell me the story of Jesus right on my heart, every word, tell me the story, most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. Tell how the angels in chorus sang as they welcomed his birth, glory to God in the highest, peace and good tidings to earth. And then we get the the chorus, which is, you know, tell me the story of Jesus, write on my heart every word. Tell me the story most precious, sweetest that ever was heard. And then I just want to read the last verse here for you. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, dying in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see Stay, stay. Let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. Hmm. That that's the story I want. I want these people to tell. That's my story. Yeah, 
Thank yeah, you. That's good. Thanks, Marshall. Thanks, Marshall. Well, hopefully this has been helpful. If you have questions or comments or a topic that you would like us to cover, you can reach us at comments at onerightchurch.com. And for more information, you can visit our website, www.onerightchurch.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.